Bit Spursy listener. Welcome to another episode of A Bit Spursy. I wish you could see the video file of our call today because I've made it look like I'm underneath the Nissan Skyline from Too Fast, Too Furious. Uh, I'm in the darkness under the neon and I wish you could see it, but you can't. Um, as always, uh, I'm Barney. I'm Dan. And we have a very special guest, uh, the wonderful Spooky. Uh, hey, Spooky, how you doing? I'm, I'm really well, mate. I'm looking forward to this. Oh, great. Always good to have a, a bit of therapy. Yeah. The weekend after a, a Spurs game. Um, and I am uh, a legally qualified uh, psychologist and therapist, so lay it on me and uh, we'll sort it out. Obviously, this will be released um, <laughs> to um, the millions of people that listen to it, but as long as you're cool with that, yeah, we can just go for it. I'm ready, mate. <laughs> Let's talk Tottenham. How do you feel? No, um, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, Spooky as a guest, um, if you want to... Give a, I'm sure people listening to this will know who you are, but if you want to give an introduction, you're more than welcome. Um, but also, how did you feel post-Bournemouth? Um, yeah, so anyone who doesn't know who I am, I'm a bit of a loudmouth on, on Twitter. Uh, I've been blogging for about 15 years. Uh, Dear Mr. Levy was the was the uh, the, the blog. Um, and obviously, social media changed everything. It turned everybody into a blogger. And, and I kind of realized really quickly that people were doing... Uh, satire better than I was so I kind of lost my niche a little bit um but I'm continuing to create content um you can hear me on the fighting cock podcast um I'm on patreon uh spooky in purgatory where I do my own podcasts and and, and like I said uh blogs but mostly on twitter um trying to retain a sense of positivity uh sense of balance in amongst all the noise um so that's me. Uh, as for Bournemouth, oh, we needed that. We needed that comeback. It was good that we, um, it's not good that we were 2 0 down. Um, it's, it was not good that once again, our first half performance was very slow brooding and, 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 and perhaps not as energetic as we have been praying uh, for the team, uh, for the team to deliver. But the way that we came back into the game, I think the second half, we, we showed our class and it was, it was good to win. It was good to win in the last minute as well. Um, and it was good to just bounce back from some of the poor performances that we have delivered uh, over the past uh, week or two. I'm always positive, you know. I'm, that doesn't mean that I'm not critical. Um, but there's nothing, there's not a lot to moan about uh, off the back of, of winning a game, really. But yet, I'm sure we will have a moan about one or two things uh, <laughs> at some point. Well, definitely from following you a lot on um, on Twitter, speaking, I know you are one of the most level-headed <laughs> Uh, Spurs fans out there. Um, Thank you. And you do. I try. I, I do try. Yeah. Well, I think you just give really nice accounts of things and really kind of balanced views that, um, you know, don't don't weigh into sort of the whole like Levy out sort of you know fiasco mm. side of things. But then I think you do kind of you know you you do talk about things and and, and call stuff out when needed. But uh, not not these yeah these ridiculous reactions that we we sometimes get. Like we can mm. win a game like this and it's like, well, it should have been 5-2. Um, and it's just like fans just coming out of the woodworks and just finding any sort of thing to complain about. We kind of live in a bubble and, and I'm sure other football supporters, other fan bases probably talk about the same things, right? But with us, it's like all the things that happen to Tottenham are somehow unique. Like it's not okay for Tottenham to win ugly. I mean, it was not that long ago when we were playing attractive football, but we weren't winning ugly. And then we started winning ugly, and it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we've got that trait as part of our DNA now. But because it's too much of that, 
people have gone the other way. But, uh, you know, they don't cre- they're not critical of other teams doing it. It's okay for United to not play that well against West Ham and see the game out. It's okay for Arsenal to have a few wobbles and, and churn out results, which they've done a, a couple of times this season. But when we do it, it's somehow blasphemous. And it's like, no, we're shit. It's, it's almost like we're never, we're never perceived as being the best of, you know, potentially the, the best version of us is never off the back of a win. When we win, it's like, well, I expected that. When we lose, it's, well, this is, this is what Tottenham are. And it's, it's, it's difficult. I mean, often people say to me, why do you bother having these discussions? But I have to, right? I have to listen to Twitter. I have to listen to other supporters because I can't, otherwise I'm in a room on my own, you know, my voice bouncing off the walls. You know, I need to be able to go up against other opinions. And unfortunately, the other opinions are never balanced in the same way that mine might be. Not that I'm always right, because I've been wrong a, a lot. Um, but it is really difficult having discussions with people that just decide, this is how I feel. I'm never going to change my mind. Um, it's not really a, a conversation at that point. So, yeah, it's, it's always messier after the game than it is on the pitch, I think, anyway. If that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it does. I think like um, uh, to be analogous to say YouTube where when that first started, it's about, um, you know, creators uh, who don't fit into the mould of television making stuff on the internet so that they're able to share what they've made. It, it's, mm. it's funny that now YouTube, if you look at what a YouTuber looks like, they look like someone that is uh, working in Hollywood. They've all got white teeth and they look perfect. And there's this weird replication where, you know, punditry by definition is about giving emotive opinions to stir up controversy controversy to get ratings. Mm. And you'd think the counterbalance to that would be people, you know, being able to freely express themselves without a producer in their ear would then want to resist the temptation to sort of indulge in that kind of um, rhetoric. But it's so embedded in how we talk about football that – those kind of opinions that are highly emotive or um, shocking, in quotation marks, um, are the things that are being replicated on in online spaces, which is not a particularly uh, new idea. But um, you just, I just get that every time I read something that, that's like, Conte out, I'm sick of this. I saw read something the other day, it was like, football dinosaur. Um, and it's like, what? what? Like, who? who else? Who do you want to replace him with? I think it's, sorry, uh, I mean, what you're saying, I know, again, people listening to this are probably thinking that 90% of my content is me moaning about this type of stuff. <laughs> I, I appreciate this in industry, right? I appreciate that there is audiences uh, that all want different things. There's a lot of successful Tottenham podcasts out there that are personally, for me, are really vanilla, right? But they they capture a wider audience of people because... Some people don't want to hear kind of a fighting cock talk, which is can can be a little bit um, awkward, I guess, if you've got other people listening in on, on the podcast that you're listening to. You know, there, there's certain conversations that people, you know, they want to listen just about football. Then you've got different, like you said, YouTube cre- uh, content creators that are very flamboyant and, you know, their, their personality shines through and it's all very much, I wouldn't say an act, but it's an exaggeration of the person's person, you know, personality. I get it. I appreciate there's different ways to digest and consume 
football and there's different ways of getting your point across. Um, but it becomes difficult then to kind of focus on on a right or, or wrong because that seems to be the narrative. You can't just be in the middle. You can't just have context. You can't just think ahead and understand that perhaps our expectations at the beginning of the season were a little bit distorted. I mean, I thought we might win the league, even though I kind of knew Man City were just sat there staring at me. But now I'm thinking, well, maybe I was wrong about the amount of players that we needed to bring in. And we're finding that out now. So now we need to change that expectation. We need to think about next season. But people's reaction to that has to be this cartoon exaggeration. Next season, it's always next season. It's never this season. Why can't we get it done now? Just, well, we're not going to, you know, there's always another football match. There's always another football season. And as, as much as that sounds like a weak response or us pushing it back out again, you know, why can't we buy 10 players in one window? And why can't we do this? Well, logistically, how would we, how would we have done that in the past summer if we had bought even more players in? To bed them in would have taken even longer. People expecting expecting it to click immediately. And then comparing us to other football clubs that might have a different type of foundation to what we have. Do you see what I mean? Even now when I'm talking, what I'm trying to say is, is complicated by all the other little things that you need to chuck into the conversation. But those little things don't usually make the conversation. It's, it's, it's those exaggerations. It's Conte's in a Tottenham manager. Right. Let's get rid of him now. Okay, what happens next? You think the next person in is just going to get to where we need to be going any quicker than what Conte is doing? Surely what we've never done before is had this basis of genuine patience that's supported by proper pragmatic, uh, pragmatic uh, kind of planning and, and, and infrastructure changes and everything else that we're doing. Um It'd be good if Conte just committed and signed the contract because then everybody might calm down a little bit. Maybe people are just fearful. Maybe that's why they overreact. Um, yeah, it's it's messy. Like I said, it's a, trying to trying to kind of process everything from game to game. It always has been, always will be. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, definitely. I, I love as well that it, it's like we we go on a little bit of a run and suddenly it's like, yeah, Conte, here's the team. We're going to do it. We're going to build on it. We're going to do this, that, everything else. We lose then mm. two games in a row, and it's just like, oh, bloody Levy strikes again. Oh, Daniel Levy strikes again. And I think it does speak to that sort of, you know, cartoonish reaction that, you know, people just want to kind of be right in there. Like, yep, I knew it. I told you so. Mm. There's a lot of that. It was always bad. It's never going to work out. Um, and I think we just sort of, that just ends up coming up way, way too often. Um and I guess as well, just Twitter, like everyone's trying to condense their views into these small little tweets and they just become, you know, inflated, um, you know, caricatures of what an actual opinion is. Because not many people do take the time to say, write longer threads um, and actually kind of discuss something in more detail. And if you do try and discuss anything in more detail, you kind of get someone coming after you like, oh, you're a Levy apologist. And then that's it. Like It gets personal, doesn't it? Yeah. People mm. default to agendas and... And I've been guilty of that, no doubt. I've, I've I've said some people are just wired in a way that they always have to be against something. You know, there, there, there's certain people that have had the same um, narrative, another of my favourite words, for 15, 20 years. They've hated the club's progress. And like when you actually, and, and this kind of 
starts feeding into the whole one trophy in 20 years. And yet, that's fine. But let's have some context off the back of that. How many times did we get to cup finals and semi-finals? And, and at what point do you blame the players being bought? Or at what point do you blame just being unlucky or just making bad decisions on the day of a cup final? Or, or Tottenham's inability to play ugly in a cup final. There's that, that, there's that famous saying that when you get to a cup final, just win it. It doesn't matter. You've done all the hard work. Just win the cup at that point. Don't risk trying to play clever football. Just do what you need to do to win. Do anything you need to do to win, even if it goes against your uh, philosophy and the rest of it. And, and I guess that's what Spurs are doing now under Conte. They're, they're doing everything they, they, can, they, they need to do to be able to win games and not lose and to hate losing. And it's flawed. Well, we can see it. We can see there's problems with it. There's, a, there's problems with maybe our capacity to, to not get tired. I mean, with three games a week. Um, there's other little problems. Emerson, you know, just right wing back. A couple of other players, definitely a creative player. So all these, all these conversations are coming back into it. But that doesn't mean it's the end of the world. It doesn't mean we're going to fold like a deck chair. It just it means we need to continue to bring in the right players. Um, and 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 to and I know again, people thinking of Kane and Son getting older. People have this self fulfilling prophecy about Conte leaving. Well, if you bang on about him all the time and you're moaning about everything, then he he might leave. Not that he probably even cares or the club even care at this point. Because you you know you go to if if you go to games um, you will you get a sense of well this isn't like Twitter at all because you can hear people singing Antonio Conte's name. Um, but having said that, I thought we were very nervous against Lisbon um, and the energy. I was in the south stand for that game, and for the first time this season, I thought, wow, there's like a, it feels like it's a majority that are not believing in the team. Um, mm. And they didn't give us much to believe in, granted, in that first half. But mm. they did it against Bournemouth. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's, it's always fantastic for us, you know, being in Melbourne, um, Australia, to hear that kind of game day experience because we're so uh, removed from it. And, you know, the way yeah. we consume it is it's 2 a.m. Yeah. yeah, on TV. I, I wonder, you know, you touched on and I wanted to ask you about uh, two things and Dan, you know, away in as well. But first of all, there is this pattern and is it a pattern that is not actually a pattern? It's just a, a random circumstances where we are poor in first halves. Second half is always better. Is there, do you think any kind of sort of divine plan there? And and secondly, the, you know, the Emerson journey that we've been on on this podcast has always been don't bag him out, blah, blah, blah. And then mm. I think um, we got to the absolute, uh, <laughs> like uh, end of our tethers with, I mean, especially, you know, against Bournemouth. And, and there's been plenty of other examples, um, you know, the North London Derby, for example, um, where it's like, actually, what what are we doing? This guy, why is this guy playing? Why is this guy pers- um, consistently named on the team sheet? Yeah, well, we, to, to, to go back to your point about the, the first half thing, it's, 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 it is tricky because on the one hand, you want to believe <coughs> Excuse me. On the one hand, you want to believe that um, it's containment and, and kind of, uh, you know, counter-attacking, a preservation of, of, of energy within the game. And it kind of worked at the beginning of the season. 
you know, even like first game of the season against Southampton, you know, we went we went one nil down and then we kind of just walloped them. And we've done that uh in a few games. Um and it's not a uh it's not any logical, it's it's very deliberate and and and, and very disciplined when it works system. It's not like Mourinho where it was like score and then everybody just stay back and lump the ball forward. It was there was no real understanding any any sort of astute uh, tactical presence in in he in Mourinho's side. Conte, you know they would have worked on automations and transitions and all this other stuff. But you know, he's alluded to the fact that his players are perhaps not super confident in what they're doing. And maybe injuries and the congestion has played into that. And then and then that's kind of clouded the way we perceive it. Um, it would be great if we came out of the blocks a little bit more. I guess what people are saying is that if we're more on the front foot, we've got the place to hurt teams. And at home, why not do that? And it is. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that it isn't something that annoys me about Conte. I'd like us to be more aggressive at home. You know, he talks about nasty, uh, kind of nastiness to the game and this kind of killer instinct. And, and it, it's very passive. And then the second half, they kind of... They're up. Then, then we kind of see what they can do, and they bullied Bournemouth in in, in the second half. Um, and we've had a couple of games this season where you kind of thought that's better. Why? Why is it? So it does feel like there's something not quite clicking, mm. not quite working. And I, you know, I'm like, like it doesn't matter whether you're in the outskirts of London or all the way down under. We don't see the training pitch. We don't see what they're doing on the training pitch. So something, we're losing something between Hotspur away and the football game. But we don't lose many games. I mean, we've lost, okay, let me rephrase that. We've lost, we've lost badly when we've, when, when, when we've, we've been beaten the season, right? We haven't looked great when we've lost. And um, we've kind of lost that kind of mystic power that we might have, that we kind of had earlier in the season, the Fortress, uh, 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 you know, White Hart Lane in Tottenham. Um, so there's work to be done there. It's kind of like to be continued. I don't really have a definitive answer uh, around it, but I would like to see us be more aggressive and a bit more oomph. But again, it could just be the congestion, the injuries, you know, losing Kulisevsky, losing that creative spark has really been a, a negative for us. You've got the World Cup, I think psychologically, I think players are definitely thinking about don't get injured. I think it's, the worst time to have a World Cup. Um, but, you know, there, there we go. FIFA money. Uh, you know, you can't really dispute that. As for Emerson, I don't hate the bloke. I like the bloke. I like his energy. I like his personality. He's a good defender. Right? He's a good defender. Because he's a good defender, he keeps getting selected. What he's not good at is the, the actual things that you want from a right wing back. You want the right wing back to deliver passes and, and, and not to not to botch no look passes. You know, you, you want him, you don't want him to be thinking about his compiled highlights post game. You want him to deliver crosses in. And if we had a world class right wing back and maybe a, a Perisic type player, uh, but maybe five years younger on the other side, which we might have, well, which we will have potentially next season with the kid from Udinese coming in, then it changes everything. The, comple- the complexion of the, the, the team changes. You know, um, the complexion changes because 
we are, you know, Spurs under Conte don't need to be this super aggressive team over 30, 40 minutes. They can be aggressive over four or five plays and score twice if everything's connecting, but it's not because, because of the wing-back situation and Caden Son not having that kind of synergy between the two of them that they've had in previous seasons. Obviously, the big question out of all of this is why keep playing Emerson? But why is Spence not? And again, maybe because Conte sees something that we're not, you know, we don't. And maybe it's a risk to throw Spence in and have him maybe uh, have a really poor performance that knocks his energy. But I don't mind these conversations. You know, these are not, these are conversations we need to be, that football supporters should have because, you know, you, you, you have to dumb down some of the things, right? Like, why doesn't, give him a chance, stick him in. And I, I agree, give him a chance to stick him in. If we're moaning about rotation and, and tired players and injuries, let's, let's try something a bit different. Um, Conte's stubborn, you know, he's, he's a very stubborn person as, as we've seen this season. Oh, definitely. Mm. I think there's also an element of which you touched on there in terms of, say, Jed Spence with this kind of, and I like to think of it, I don't know whether how true it is, but this protectiveness over the fact that he's this hyped youngster. He gets thrown mm. in, has a, an awful game, and gets absolutely pillared by not only our fans but um, other teams' fans. You know, that is going to set him back a long way, especially if that kind of... Um, mm you know, feedback sticks. I mean, he does. He, and again, this is just based on not knowing either of these two players, right? So there's no kind of analytical insight in this other than the gut feeling. But he does strike me as a very strong-willed character, a very confident young man. Um, Sessignon seems a little bit more fragile. It's like he was thrown into the deep end when Fulham got promoted. And he struggled mm. and he was, you know, championship player of the year the season before that. And I think I think sometimes we mishandle some of these players. You know, I think we got very, very lucky with Delhi Alley when, when yeah. he was chucked in. I did not expect that, uh, you know, Delhi to, to play for Spurs as early as he did. Hey, maybe if we didn't chuck him in that early, maybe he'd still be with us now. You just don't you don't know. You don't know, but we obviously you know that that's been and gone now, and 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 perhaps Spurs need to be a bit more um, astute with the way that we manage some of these players, which is why I kind of think, who's right, me, a, a blogger and podcaster, sitting in an office, in the outskirts of London, or Conte, who's who's won a few big titles. Uh, it's not to say managers are not wrong. You know, we've seen plenty of managers that have made awful decisions and and, and weird decisions. I'm not saying that Conte is beyond that, but he's been right so far with a lot of decision-making. So I guess you've got to have a bit of faith as well. You know? mm. Oh, definitely. I think as well, like I'm, I'm really sort of just kind of waiting out till once we get through the World Cup, once we see how things are looking in January. Uh, I think this season more than any than that we've had, I think ever <laughs> since I can remember following the team, is just going to be, really kind of disjointed and, and there could be just mm. very much two different halves of the season based on, on sort of what happens over the next month or so. Completely agree, mate. Yeah. Um, and so I think as well, that's why, yeah, we really have no idea what Conte's thinking and whether he's thinking that 
by the time we get to January, February, then he Spence is ready to go for him. And he's hoping that he sort of has picked up everything there. Like we thought even a couple of weeks ago, the Brian Hill, we were just never going to see him again. And um, yeah. Conte was going to fire him into the sun. But now he's <laughs> speaking positively of him and saying, you know, he's got a really great football mind. And like he he always picks up all the tactical things he does in training. And he just wants him to eat, eat a few more potatoes and beef up a little bit. Mm. So, you know, it's, um I think, yeah, even though Conte speaks quite sort of passionately, I don't think he always speaks honestly. And I think that's a good thing for a manager to do. It's it. This is this plays into the whole, um, the, the the whole way we digest things again. Like obviously, Conte. You know, if you want to talk about bad habits, sometimes he will ramble like I do. Right? You know, just get to the point, and he doesn't get to the point. So Conte, instead of saying yes, I'm I'm happy at Tottenham, and obviously I'm not going to talk about a new contract yet, or he actually wouldn't. You'd never say that because he's feeding the media, but he can say something positive like. I'm happy at Spurs. The end. Can we talk about something else? Done. But he has to give this thing about going in the right direction. And this kind of plays into the whole, is he going to get backed? Is he talking about being backed? But he, what he's doing, he's just, he's talking logically. If a ma- if a manager behind closed doors goes to the chairman, the chairman goes, yeah, you've only got uh, 30 million to spend in the window. He's like, Mate, what? Can't even buy a ball boy for that. What, what do you want me to do with 30 million? Obviously, the manager will have second thoughts about staying at the football club. So, the words that managers say often, we we anchor ourselves to certain key words and certain narratives off the back of that that play to what we tend to believe in. On on so, so my point is that so much is lost in translation with him. You know, when he's saying things about Spence being the club signing, when he's talking about Brian Hill not being ready, mate, and 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 he might be saying that on purpose to distract and deflect or to inspire the player. You know, he did it with Basuma. Basuma's not tactically ready. And then people are like, what do you mean he's not tactically ready? He's got to be better than what we've got in the middle already. And what we've got in the middle already is pretty good. But you have people with differing opinions about uh, the Viking uh, (laughs) and, and, and what he brings to the team. So it's, it's, Often it's what people want to believe, and that drives the discussion more than reality. And the thing about reality is all we have to go on are the performances and the results. And if they're not aligning to what we expect, then all those other questions kind of get bundled into a massive conversation. Um, uh, but it's usually a lot more simple than that, right? You know, mm-hmm. Kane and Son are not bang on form. Even though Kane is literally seven, eight goals away from beating Jimmy Greaves' record, you know, but Kane and Son have not been the same partnership. They've been, and if they were, we're probably lost. We would have lost less games and had more points, and we still would have had a, this complaint thing going on where we're saying, "Well, we're not as we're not as good as we could be," which is incredible being a type of supporter because usually we're playing really good football. But we're losing, you know, we, we get bullied really easily. Um, so it, it, I, again, I don't think we know how to cope with this high level tension and pressure, pressure as, as a fan base. I don't think we're very good at understanding what it really takes to build something that doesn't exist. Mm. All these other clubs have got a foundation. We don't have a foundation. Mm. I mean, we do, 
but it's not the same as theirs. Yeah. I said on this pod before that we've got this uh, teething issue where, or we're in this kind of adolescent phase where we were kind of just, you know, floating around fifth or sixth, you know, say red nap was the end of the, the like child development phase for us where we're playing good football. Occasionally we'll just completely shit the bed. Um, mm-hmm. And then we then all of a sudden under Pochettino uh, performing at a level that we haven't sort of seen. And now then we have Jose and now we've got Conte. And now because of that pressure as a supporter base, we're not used to it. And so we're flipping out because we're not ready for or, or to sort of sit with the process of how this goes. So we're kind of like we need to win every game by five goals because that's safe when it's like, well, that's not how it works. It's never been how it works. Um, yeah, I, I think you're totally bang on there about that kind of, you know, like you said, winning ugly. I mean, I'm pretty happy with that uh, Viking to Cess um, goal. That was fantastic. Yeah, what well, what pass? Yeah, what a pass. Mm. That was your <laughs> ugliest sin, but I don't I don't care. You know, like it's fascinating. I really like your adolescent comparison there, Barty, because it is exactly it really does describe it and describe all the reactions. Because it does feel like at the fair bait, you know, is, is effectively a teenager saying like, my best friend is Johnny. And then the next day, I hate Johnny. And then two days later, no, we're good friends again. Um, and it just seems that we just have that <laughs> sort of um, happening constantly. I, I do feel that like overall, it seems like the Hoybier discourse has died down a little bit um, since that I think he's all just through that. He's still putting in, you know, good performances and, He's still like scoring some goals, getting assists and doing all this sort of stuff. So mm. it kind of feels like the, the people that were really going in on him, they've either, they're just, they're just lurking in the shadows and they're just waiting for one bad game. And they're going to come out again and say, look, I told you so. Um, or they're actually starting to realize like, ah, maybe, maybe he is a better player than what I thought he was initially. He's a good player. He's a consistent player. He, the amount of minutes he's, he's, he's put in for us is just phenomenal and it's they've not been wasted minutes you know he would not keep getting selected by all these managers if he wasn't good and it's 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 weird we had Musa Dembele and some people I mean he was maligned by some of our fans like people would say oh just because all players in the Premier League rate him as one of the best midfielders doesn't mean he's actually any good and it's like, mate, did you actually hear what you just said? You're, you're, his fellow, his peers, his fellow professionals are rating him as one of the best midfielders. But you, you know, on on your on your iPhone, walking the dog, think he's overrated. And it's the same. It's the same with uh, with with Hoybier and and just. I'm not. I'm not saying we can't do better. We could potentially do better in every position in the squad, bar a, a couple of obvious ones, right? But even those ones, we have to start thinking about replacing Hugo. We have to start thinking about Kane, Kane's contract um, and what Sun might do in, in the next few years. So you're always looking to upgrade. You're always looking to to um, define your, your first 11 based on the identity that you're trying to, to create. And, you know, Spurs are a team that have been on the up since 2000, 2006. <coughs> Excuse me. When uh, Martin Yo accidentally became manager because we appointed the wrong person, um, uh, and and yes, it's been 
it's been a weird journey because a lot of things have been accidental, just with the way things have fallen on our, on, on our lap. But most of football's like that. Again, people, Spurs fans, shouldn't think that we have the copyright to all this. A lot of the time, you get lucky. You find the right play and the right manager. And, and again, we had no foundation. We missed out on Sky Sports. We missed out on Champions League money. We were lagging so far behind. We were a mediocre football club. Like genuinely, we take the piss out of West Ham so much over the years. We, we, we've done kind of looked at them yo-yo in and out of the league. But we were as bad, if not as poor as they were. Always just above, you know, 14th, 15th. A couple of times, not almost in a relegation dogfight. We took a lot. And then you had them locked down the road winning everything. World-class players at United and one or two other clubs. So we've come a long way. Now, that's not to say that's 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 our trophy. Do you know what I mean? That that's at least we tried. We're trying to do a lot more than that. But you're up against teams that sit on season on season know what they need to do. They've won the culture of the club is that they've won things and know what it takes to win things and know how to try to sustain that level, even though it's very, very difficult to sustain that level. You look at Liverpool possibly one of the best Premier League clubs ever and have won one league title because of Manchester, Manchester City existing. And you look at Chelsea, who have bought so many quality players over the years. Many of them barely starters. Many of them loaned out. Most of them would have played the other top clubs in the Premier League, but didn't. And so there's this weird distortion that's hap- happening, that's happening in the Premier League that's made our life more difficult. Tottenham under Poch were probably one of the best Premier League teams ever. Got nothing to show for it, apart from the memories, which obviously for, for, for football fans are probably more important than, than most things because it's how, how your team makes you feel. Um, and to come full circle, I guess that's why people are annoyed because Spurs are not making them feel like they did under Pochettino. And I agree. I want swashbuckle and swagger. But the reality is we need other things to work if we want to actually win something and get to a level that allows us to consistently try to win something. It's hard being a football fan. Man. You, just want to, you just want to watch the game, have a beer, have a laugh with your mates, whether you're, no matter where you are in the world, right? Um, but at the same time, you, you want that day out. You want to win something. You want a consolidation of some kind. And Spurs, we're spoiled. We're genuinely spoiled supporting this football club. Um, mm. To even talk about trying to win things is something that most football clubs and fans will never experience. But again, people won't care about that because they just see the Premier League and they see the the teams considered our rivals, which is practically every club in London and, and mm. every other club. Um, it's a journey. Maybe we'll get there one day, right? Maybe we'll get to the destination one day. I want to touch on something you said there about, you know, the idea of, of having, you know, what you're chasing as a fan is, you know, those memories and, and that experience of, you know, whatever it may be in whatever competition or whatever, you know, the, the games that you remember. I always find it, you know, funny, the response, if you were to say that in the presence of um, other football fans, would be like, oh, is that your trophy? Is it memories? Oh, nice. But the thing is that when you win a trophy, the club wins a trophy, you don't get the trophy, right? You get the memory of the, it's the same thing. It's just like, you can't argue about the, the experience or the, um, how you feel about a certain memory 
versus how you feel about a team winning a trophy because you could be a Man City fan that sort of just kind of you've got memories of them winning the Premier League but they don't really mean anything to you say because you've started following them two years ago mm. but it's it's how you the individual actually interpret that that memory I'm not saying <laughs> that it's greater than a trophy because obviously that's the symbol that um, represents success so of course that's what you want that's what the whole point is that you're chasing that that symbol but I think that's a really um, astute observation, Spooky, of, of the memories. I mean, I've got into trouble. Uh, a few people have got into trouble for saying similar things. I think there was, I can't remember what the topic was exactly, but I said how the the, the Lucas goal against Ajax was probably one of the greatest moments um, in terms of, you know, it, mean, it means more to me than winning the League Cup. And then people were like, oh, this is the reason Tottenham, this, these are Spurs fans saying this, by the way. And uh, in fact, now I remember the context. It was a, a group of other content creators that I don't have anything to do with who were very, very pessimistic during the summer transfer window, hypercritical. And they were saying, you're the reason why, you know, we don't win anything because you're glorifying failure. And I was like, well, hold on a minute. Failure is in, in how are you defining failure? Now, this is... This is a conversation that's probably too philosophical and too deep for most football fans because I, I'm not saying winning a League Cup is something that's that I wouldn't care about. I would care about it because who are you beating? When we beat Arsenal 5-1 in a semi and, and we beat Chelsea in the final in 2008, the last time we won something, it was glorious. Not because it was the, the League Cup. I don't really care that it was the League Cup, but because what we did to those two teams. And and you you're there with your mates again, no matter where you're watching it, and you're you're galvanised by it. In the grand scheme of things, you go in the history books, but you're right. You'll be thinking back to the memories associated with that game with Woodgate's untidy winner and 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 the rest of it. Zakora going on that mad run, <laughs> just getting the Sissoko vibes from from Zakora <laughs> before we knew Sissoko would ever be a thing for Tottenham, but. You know, it is about memories. And yeah, you you can have memories with winning things. It doesn't just have to be an Ajax semi-final win. But the, the point I was making with that was that you don't feel more alive than you do in those moments. Like when Kane scored the ghost goal against Sporting Lisbon, I, lo- I lost it. I mean, I was, mm. I'm was i a grown man and I was celebrating like I'd never seen a winner before, a last-minute winner. And th- those are the moments that, 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 that are bread and butter of football for all football fans. And everything else is whether you're lucky and, and have the quality and the depth to be able to, to go one step further. But the League Cup, if we won it this season, would be great as nothing more than um, a tick in a box in, in terms of progress. And I know, again, it sounds like I'm devaluing it, but does the League Cup mean anything to people anymore? Probably not. Even the FA Cup is, has been cheapened by the fact that we rotate teams to play league games because people most big clubs are looking to finish top four to get Champions League football, only to then potentially not play key players in the Champions League game because you've got a big game the weekend in the league. And it becomes this weird cycle. What is it you're trying to do here? Are we trying to make money? Or are we trying to get to a level where we're always in the Champions League? Because if you're always in the Champions League, you might end up being a serious contender for the title. So it it becomes about... The, the logistics uh, of how to get there. 
more than it does than experiencing the day-to-day and the week-to-week. So it's a very muddled thing. And this is, again, why people are arguing and discussing these things in a really kind of colourful way. Um, you know, I want to win a cup because we we need to do that to validate one or two players that we have here and, and, and have more than just what they've produced game to game as memories that they, they can go away and say, I won the FA Cup with Tottenham. Um, it's difficult. It's difficult because you've got Man City who exist and won the League Cup five years on the trot. Um, mm. And that's probably why I don't give a shit about the League Cup. I'm more focused on, 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 on the Champions League, which is, again, it's a mad thing to say, but modern football is, is it's a, modern football doesn't really make sense. You know, it's probably the easiest way to, uh, to describe it all. Well, I think if we did win the League Cup, like the first response to that would be like, ah, you won the Tim Pot Trophy. Ah, it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> and then it's like, if we won an FA Cup, it'd be like, well, you haven't won the Champions League of the League, have you? And then right. if you win one of the other two, like the argument would just keep going. <laughs> it, it is. Uh, what I've just, because I, I wanted to, sorry, I wanted to make this point as well. A lot of the the goading and, and, and a lot of all these kind of sort of memes are just from from children, mostly. A few adults get involved, but I don't think they really appreciate and understand football uh, in an adult way. And and you're right, we will get belittled even after we've, we've done the very thing that they've said that we've not been able to do. Like, what has Harry Kane ever won? And then he wins something and he will be, well, come back to me when he's won the league three years on the trial. So, hold on a minute, what? What are you saying now? Like, oh, well... Ashley Young has won X amount of trophies. Okay, but is Ashley Young going to be con- considered great? Is he going to be remembered as as, as 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 a great player? Whereas Harry Kane has given us memories that will are just endless, right? So there's it, again, it, none of this makes sense in the world of social media. You're going to get these kind of like, when was the last time you won anything? You know, you've never won any trophies. And I had this conversation with someone else. What's the guidelines around this? When does a trophy trophy become redundant? Because the last time we won something was 2008. So, if, so is it 14 years? I mean, if you don't win anything for two seasons, have you won any trophies? Does, do you get what I'm saying? So it becomes this mm. weird... It's, just, it, it, it's ridiculous that we even have to talk about that kind of stuff with, with social media. I don't think you're ever going to change the mind of an obsessive rival fan that has a player like an avatar for their favourite player and their, their, their Twitter <laughs> handle is, you know, the name of that player. You know, you're never going to change. You know, these guys probably live on FIFA as well. And that, I'm stereotyping massively. But, you know, you do get adults that, that think the same way. And I think that's just noise that you just have to do with. It, it's always existed. You know, we've always taken the piss out of other fans. They've taken the piss out of us. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, like I said, I think we're fairly spoiled to support Tottenham to see the players that we watch week in, week out and have done for 20 years now. Um, mm. And yeah, we do need to more win things. We need, we need to win more things, basically, as well. Obviously, every club on the planet will say that. Oh, definitely. Mm. Uh, I think one thing that also just stood out when we're talking about sort of memories and everything too, um, like with the Bournemouth game as an example, like you could say, you know, would you prefer to go into that game and just smash them, win at 5-0? Um, or... You know, is there something that is really enjoyable to see you go down 2-0 and, and come back and win 3-2? I'm not saying that I want to go down in every single game, 
But I'm saying that like that moment when Benteke sco- um, scored in the 92nd minute, I mean, to me, that was worth a lot more than I sort of going out with a 3-0 mm. victory. So again, be clear, I'm not saying I would want us to have that to happen every single game, but I think even those sort of moments, like they do feel a lot more rewarding and yeah, it can be nice to have some games that go, you know, head in interesting directions and you don't just sort of end up getting a, a very sort of like mundane Man City week to week. The, the, the thing is that people will say, off, people have said off the back of the 3-2, we should have been 2-0 down, right? And they, they, they say, well, we got lucky. You know, last-minute winners are never guaranteed. It's like none of this makes sense. Like, again, is it okay for other teams to do this? But for some reason, when we do it, it's derogatory to what we're trying to do. Obviously, going 2-0 down is not great. And, and Conte kind of walked off on the third goal. I think that was quite a performative you shouldn't have been 2-0 down. I'll accept that you've won the game 3-2, but that was Bollock's type of walk away. And maybe that was also part of his game that he plays with Daniel Levy, if you want to believe that games are being played between the manager and the chairman. Personally, I don't. I think they've got a good relationship and they, they're they supportive of what needs to be done. But um, what he illustrated to me was that we could come back. Uh, we could change that first half performance. Still, we, we ask why play so poorly in the first half or not or concede so poorly really because it was a couple of sort of um, defensively we weren't great um, so I, com- I, I completely agree with you I think sometimes those moments are half fun and make you feel alive and they give you something back we have spirit we have a togetherness we have belief we have the quality to find those passes and, and you know we had like 20 corners you know, you know it's just a uh, you know, we put them under a lot of pressure in that second half. And we need to raise our game again, you know, against Marseille on Tuesday, Liverpool ne- next week. You know, every game is a test and, and it's amplified by those expectations that, that we have uh, for the team. I guess it would be nice for Spurs to be a bit boring and just win comfortably, easily, 2 or 3-0. Occasionally, just to keep, you know, everybody cool and calm and, and and know that we've got it in us to play ugly and to play flamboyantly as, uh, as well. But we're going to get there. Again, it's... it's um, People will probably not like hearing that because we've been patient for... A, since I started supporting Tottenham, I've had to be patient. Um, but it's just the reality of it, you know. Conte has not had three seasons. He's not had three, four hundred million quid to spend on players. Um, he's had 11 league games this year and the back end of last season was inheriting a, a squad uh, that was fairly broken and arguably still is. You know, arguably there's still things that need to be done, things that need to be changed. Um, why are we not applying that context to it? Especially when we were begging the club, bring someone in, bring a world-class manager in after the Nuno debacle, bring someone in and we bring him in. And now who are we, the Tottenham Hotspur supporters, to say, yeah, I don't think this guy's good enough for us. It's, it's Antonio Conte. He, where, 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 where do we go after this? You know, where do we go after this? People wanted Graham Potter. And at the time, the people that wanted Graham Potter were, were called hipsters. Because they were saying Potter wasn't good enough for Tottenham. He's not. He's not. He's not high level enough. 
he goes to Chelsea and everyone shits the bed and everyone's like, oh my God, uh, Graham Potter, why didn't we get Potter in? He plays really good football. And then they get stuffed by Brighton and people are like, ah, I told you, Graham Potter's no good. <laughs> it's, you, <laughs> it's like script writers for a TV show and they just don't know. It's like lost the TV show, like brilliant concept. They didn't really know where it was going. And then, then they yeah. had to kind of just finish it off really quickly in the end. Not the greatest analogy, but it sometimes feels like we've got people just making up how they feel about Spurs, game to game. Um, and uh, fair enough, if that's how you want to support your club, then, then that's great. But I do think it's it, uh, that only exists, that culture only exists because, because of social media. I think um, if you watch the game or go to the game and then you have a chat with people, then you get on with, with your life until the next time. But now we're we're living in, in inside each other's heads. Do you know what I mean? We're we're reading things off the cuff and 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 people are not sleeping on opinions. They they're just bang, 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 bang. And then, you know, they've they've gone too deep now, they they double down. They can't pull themselves back up uh, out of it and say, you know what? I was wrong. I went too early. No one does that anymore. Um, because they don't want to lose face. So so much of it isn't about football. It's just, uh, it's, it's bonkers, really. But mm. win games and everyone shuts up. That's, that's all you need to do. Win, win games. Mm. I think it was uh, interesting. I did the same thing when uh, Kane scored that, as you said, ghost goal in the Champions League. Went nuts. at uh, It was 7 a.m., I think, here. Woke everyone up in my house. Um, couldn't believe it. Was so happy. And, uh, mm. you know, it gets, you know, overturned and uh, there's, mm. you know, so many takes about, I mean, the thing is that I, as someone who thought they understood the offside rule was just so, and, and you know, lots of people have been saying, so baffled as to it's, um, how it's being implemented there. Um, and then to put my tinfoil hat on for a moment, I read that the person in VAR is, which of course, this is such a ridiculous um, you know, correlation doesn't equal causation. That the VAR steward or whatever they call them um, was the same one that gave that Sissoko handball in the um, cup, uh, the Champions League final. And you know, then I'm like, oh, unbelievable! But you know, I I could, but you don't know, right? I could jump on social media and be like, this person is a football terrorist. Um, well, how terrible are they? Um, but if you just think for you know. 20 seconds <laughs> it's like well maybe not um but yeah what did, what did you take from that the var thing is is it the fact that there were so many discussions and so many perspectives so many twitter threads from experts that spoke to uefa and and so many opinions and screenshots and you're thinking if it was really clear all i would see is a, is a, is a clear off sign and i can't see that so we've got this technology We've got the law that's really ambiguous, and I sometimes feel it's ambiguous on purpose because it allows, not to put a tinfoil hat on, but I guess it masks the, the mistakes. You know, it gives some protection over what um, plays out. Um, because if the decision is ambiguous after the decision has been made, then you never really get to the crux of it. Like, was he actually offside? I don't. I, don't, I still don't know. Now, even though I've got people telling me, if you understood the law, you'd know he was. Okay, but the, the whole point of VAI is the, the evidence. And surely if it's really clear, 
you know immediately. And I think this is the problem. It's so forensic. It's so like, like, like the tech they use in, in Blade Runner, where he's kind of zooming in on the picture to find evidence and reflections and whatever else. If you're talking about millimeters, forget it. This is doomed, right? If you if you literally try to find a hair's difference, it's doomed. Don't do that. Make it so that it's if he's level, he's on side. And 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 just when I say is he level, when you're looking at it visibly, you can see that he's level. You can draw your little line in crayon, whatever you want to do, and but you can clearly see. Just define what is offside clearly for everybody to understand and then play off that. And then it shouldn't take four or five minutes for people to, to look at different camera angles. It feels like they're trying to find an angle that proves it was offside. And the, the same with handball as well. Like the handball law doesn't make sense. You know, West Ham scored, uh, I think, against Bournemouth. And it was it came off the player's hand or arm. Um, there was no decision there. There's no VAR there. And, and, and this is where the lack of consistency has people upset. And, and for me, I was in the South Stand. I, I'm usually in the East Stand. That's where my season ticket is. I was in the South Stand lower. Uh, it's, it's safe standing. It's really close to the action. I, I saw the ball nestle into, into the corner of the net. I lost it like I was 18 again. And I stood up on the bars um, that separate the, the supporters. And I was screaming. I was animated. I was visceral. It was this incredible, incredible release of tension because that game had built up so much tension and it was just, just everything coming out. And it all got a little bit quiet. And I could see activity on the pitch. And then I saw the screen flash. I was like, oh my God, it's gone to VAR. And I wasn't. I didn't care that I made myself look that animated. I didn't. I had. You know, there was no problem with me releasing that. It was more about how deflated I, I was about to feel. And then they disallowed it. And I was like, "What's the point?" You can bang on about your trophies. You can bang on about all the other things, the politics of football. But football fundamentally is about celebrating that type of moment. And how you feel in that moment is often cosmic levels of whatever it is. I mean, we're very simple creatures, humans. You know, some of the things that we obsess about are really silly when you think about it. Uh, and football is one of those things. But it's a glorious release, you know, away from the mundane and the routines of work and everything else, which can be very fulfilling as well. Don't get me wrong. But football is this escapism. And for me to have released all that and then for them to, to chalk it off, now, if it was instantly offside, you know, the flag goes up or, or, or there's just something to instantly tell us, chill. You're still going to celebrate until you realise it's gone to VAR. But make that decision quickly because if it's made quickly, you tend to get over it quickly. The same way that you can score and the linesman flag goes up back in the day and they disallow it. You'd celebrate and then someone would grab you and, and go, no, 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 look, the, the, the linesman, he's flagging. Oh, it's offside. Okay, fine, let's get on with it. It happens. Um, there's no excuse. There's no excuse for us having this conversation now. There's no excuse for them doing what they did. And I, and I think in, 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 in just to, to kind of end on this particular thing, if you don't really know <laughs> with all that technology, <laughs> give the advantage 
to the team that just scored. You're reward you're rewarding attacking play. You're rewarding a team scoring in the in the ninety fifth minute, whatever it was. Give them the the advantage, um, and because then it makes us happy as, as spectators. But you know, Eric Dyer should have scored. You know, mm. oh definitely. Just earlier than you know, just before that incident. Um, and that's football, man. It's cruel. As, as mm. it can be beautiful, but it can be cruel. As well, and I think what I found really interesting with that goal, um, I'm sure everyone and everyone's done a deep dive on it by now, um, regarding the rules and everything else. And you know, suddenly all rival fans became offside law experts as soon as <laughs> that happened. But, um, yeah, what I think I found really frustrating about it was that even by by the letter of the law, you say, okay, it's it's offside because Kane is ahead of the ball when it's played off, um, Emerson. How what mm. we're talking about here of going like, look, there's we're not rewarding attacking teams for attacking, because if Emerson misses that and it comes off his knee, then that would be valid. Yeah, uh, because you go well, the ball would then have been ahead of Kane, so then that's valid. Like if it came off Emerson's foot because his whole body is, <laughs> you know, in this really sort of strange position, but then to have it ruled out by, my understanding is that it's because the defender they were trying to work out. Is that is that a defensive action that the defender has made to get in the way there? And you go, well, the defender by being there is surely a defensive action. So like, with mm. it's it's just getting to this really weird place where, like you say, you have like three, four, five minutes, and we're trying to use all this you know computers and technology to make a call that then just goes back to a subjective decision for people trying to work out what the rule actually is and trying to get inside the intent of a defensive player. Uh, when a ball's been hit into them and they're trying to block, like it's it's so ridiculous to me that we're, we're kind of at this point now. And I know this has been, you know, this this has been talked about a lot, but I really wonder how how beneficial this has been overall. Like uh, going back pre VAR, because I really feel now, even sitting at home, I I there's something that stops me from celebrating goals. Um, no matter whenever it is, because I'm like, well, they're going to go back to uh, about 45 seconds ago and see that someone's toe was in an offside position on the wing. And I think it's, it's kind of, it's kind of frustrating because we watch a lot of games in the middle of the night and it's also going to be frustrating, of course, in the stadiums and whenever you watch the games, mm. but if we're watching it at mm. two, 3am, we're staying up because we want to have these moments of elation and we want to have these moments of like, well, it's worth us being up till 5 a.m. It's worth us possibly ruining the next day because we're so exhausted <laughs> because we got to watch this game. We got to have these moments and we get to experience that as fans. And now to have, you know, things like this, it, it's just, it, I don't know. It just takes all the sort of passion out of the game. I don't know if you feel the same, Barney, because it's like we do watch games at very, very bizarre times. To me, it's like you can't be specific about a uh, particular decision if the criteria, as Spooky said, isn't clearly defined. It's like if, you know, like when you win a game, it's because you score more goals than the opposition. You draw a game if you score an equal amount of goals. You lose a game if you score less amount of goals than the opposition. But then it's like if, if that's clear criteria. But if the criteria around winning and losing and drawing was like, well, you did score more goals, but um, the clouds were covering the sun. So was it really daytime? Because this day, this game was on a particular day. So uh, I'm not really sure. And um, yeah, also I'm, I'm not sure because 
there um there was someone in the crowd waving, which might have put somebody off. So it's like, well, <laughs> wait, so wait, what are the rules then? Because if it's not the the fact that you know plus one goal means uh this team won, then how do you even define it if it can be so flexible and sort of um uh, the definition is so disperse. Um, I still go nuts every time there's a goal and then I just have to deal with the fact that then I feel horrible when it gets called off. Um, and I think uh, for me, I'm like, that's the way, <laughs> unfortunately it has to be. Cause otherwise I spend, you know, every decision, every goal being like, oh. yeah, it's a mess. I think, I think that the, what they're trying to do, the technology, the, 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 the AI and the, 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 the applications that they're using hasn't been developed yet. If that makes sense, you know, you know, sometimes you get um, on pundit programs, they show you some real time footage and then they computerize it. And then they use like a 3D angle to, to kind of zoom into players and their positioning. And, you know, you can imagine that working really well for VAR, that it would just capture the moment in real time, pause it when it needs to be paused based on when the balls come over and being played and then they can they instantly see now for that to work today i'm pretty sure that technology doesn't exist that, that might take 20 minutes so like it's not do you know what i mean it's not it's just isn't there i think i i was going to say i think i have seen some footage actually on on twitter which is about this like semi-automated system or whatever yeah i mean but it, where did that come from where, where is that is that like has someone just generated that in their bedroom or is that actually what's going to be implemented <laughs> And if it is around, <laughs> no. why aren't we using it right now? <laughs> I'm just so confused by it all. It's, it's like Barney was saying, this, it's just noise upon noise upon noise. And loads of experts and pundits, and loads of opinions. If it worked, we wouldn't need these conversations. We would know and we would know immediately. Look, we have, we have been at the end of some really good VAR decisions, right? Obviously, they're good because we've won and not lost games. And we've also seen some really weird stuff. So it's the technology, it's the implementation of the law, but it's getting rid of this ambiguity as well. Because sometimes you look at things on VAR and you're like, oh, wow, that isn't a handball. That's accidental. Lucas is on the floor. You literally, what more can you want the guy to, you can't move out the way. But because of the letter of the law is like, if the hand, if the arm is like this and, it doesn't take into account everything else that's going on. Um, and, and often I think it's it breaks down with, with, with the way that the law stipulates what is handball and what is offside. And 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 rather than you applying a bit of logic as well and say, well, hold on a minute. He, he's literally on the ground. That shouldn't be a handball. Let's not give it. Even it hit his arm, but we can't give it because of the circumstances, right? But I don't think that's even applied. So, so many things that are wrong with it still. So many. Before it was human error, referees would get things wrong. And linesmen, officiate, you know, officials would get things wrong. And I almost miss that because at least you can just put it down to you're going to get decisions go your way and you're going to get some that don't. But then, then the whole thing about what if you lose a Champions League final because of a decision like that. And we kind of did lose a Champions League final because of a decision that never went to VAR, never, was never looked at. Um, so there's definitely a lot of work to be done for them to just get it to work in a way where it's just foolproof. And there's got to be a way to work towards that. Have less people involved as well. 
I think there's a lot there's a lot of people influencing this. A lot of people um a lot of people thinking they know best for football. And again, if if I just put my Alex Alex Jones Team Four hat on, you know, you could you could quite easily be corrupt through incompetence. Or you could just be corrupt. And we would never be able to prove it one way or the other. I'm not, uh, you know, I'm, uh, there's no evidence for corruption in, in, in football in England, right? Uh, definitely is in other countries around the world. Um, but just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not there. And people, if there's, if there's one thing we've been consistent with throughout our history, apart from war, is just we're corruptible. And, and why do we think we're special in the Premier League? That it doesn't happen on, on some level. The Premier League is this massive brand. Um, I'm off on one now, sorry. But this the Premier League is this massive brand that, that relies on narratives. You know, for years, Sky Sports have only looked at appeasing Manchester United and, and kind of cheerleading Liverpool and celebrating Man City, Newcastle, and all these kind of things. They, there's certain things that they know is very attractive to, to audiences around the world. It's just it is a product and, and it's a brand and uh, and often isn't enough to just watch good football and 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 to maybe support the 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 the, the kind of dark horses and you know the the, the 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 pretenders to the crown and the rest of it. Um and I think that you can quite easily influence games. You can give decisions that influence games that support that narrative, you know, and they're questionable. Maybe it's paranoia. Maybe those things happen all the time. And, and you know, you just think with your Tottenham cap on rather than Tim Foyle might be the same thing. You might <laughs> think it's a conspiracy against, you know, every fan base, it's a conspiracy against my club. I don't think it's a conspiracy against any given club. It probably is less of less about corruption and more about incompetence. Um, and it, it's going to cost us again, no doubt, in the future. And it will also um, work in our favour. But that's not good enough. You know, you just want it to. You want it to be fair, and you want it to be precise. And it's ne- neither of those two things right now. Uh, for the most part, it is, but because it's blatant, it's those close decisions. Just change the law once and for all to benefit, to give the advantage to the, the striker, and to clear up what offside means, and then we can crack on with everything else. Yes, yeah, I, th- I um, think there was like Eric Dyer should have scored. Basically. <laughs> I think there was, I was watching a documentary um, on Netflix, one of the untold ones, and it was about the the NBA referee who got done for uh, like basically fixing games and involved in betting scandals and all that. But something that mm. came out of that was he claimed that the referees were actually by like not the, not everyone was involved in the the gambling stuff that he mm. was, but he was get, claiming that referees do were biased based on narratives. So if they were like, hey, such and such has been you know, complaining about a lot of calls lately. They're a bit of annoying. Let's, you know, kind of go against them a bit. Like we, we don't like them. Um, and I, I'm simplifying it very, very much from what they're saying, but I just found it interesting mm. that the, and I don't know if he was just trying to throw claims at other people just to help his own innocence, but it, um, it wouldn't surprise me if you do have, you know, some referees are going to have some bias. And I think like every, every, you know, it's just natural that humans are going to have some bias in some sort of, you know, direction in most instances. The 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 whole rule around um, letting the game flow is really interesting because 
sometimes you're like, oh, last season the referee would have pulled that back and given a free kick. But he hasn't. That's great because the, the play, the transition continues. But if was that a free kick? Because if it was a free kick, is he going to let all those challenges go for the rest of the game? At what point does he go, actually, that's a free kick? So letting the game flow, it, it, may, maybe I've butchered that. Maybe there is um, a, a kind of rule around what that actually means in terms of maybe just playing advantage more often. That I can understand, but I've seen it on a couple of occasions where the referee will blow his whistle, give the free kick, and you're thinking, mate, we were on a break there. You could, you could have played the ball through. We had an advantage. What makes you not give us the advantage? And I guess that kind of ties into what you're saying, you know, unconscious bias or, or just what, you know, how that referee's feeling on that day might want to control the game, might want to be the centre point of the game and might just think, no, I'm blowing my whistle. Um, it, there's a lot. I, these type of things I've always been in the game, you know, it's it's nothing new. And, and at the end of the day, when you're watching your team, you're always going to think the referee's shit. You're always going to be, the referee's useless. But, but more often these days, I, I never come away thinking, oh, the ref was really good. Because if you come away from a football game and someone says to you, who's the ref today? And you're like, I don't know, mate, who refereed that game. That's probably because the referee done a really good job. And then you want to find out what his name is because you're like, he's a decent ref because he didn't even know he was there. He just let he let the game flow and he actually had an impact, positive impact and the decisions he was making. But it's a rare thing for that to happen because, like I said, you're often clouded by emotion and um and bias because you're you're looking to get every decision go your way because that's what football supporters generally do. Um yeah, I don't think we're fixing football. Um <laughs> I don't think uh, us talking about it, I think it's great. But I think there's so many problems in amongst it. Um, and, yeah, they need to really, really audit the whole lot and just try and find a balance, um, especially with VAR, because it's getting, it's getting ridiculous now. It really is. Hello there, a bit Spursy listener. It's me, Barney. And me, Dan. And we are here to tell you some fantastic news. We have started a free Discord to which you can go on and chat all things Tottenham Hotspur and other related concepts. <laughs> yeah, to join that, uh, head to discord.gg slash abitspursy. That's correct. We also now have a Patreon to which you can pay for Spurs-related content. <laughs> and, it sounds uh, like a scam. It's not a scam here. It's, it's not a scam. We're not scamming. We're not scamming. It's, uh, look, we, we love uh, you know creating this podcast and there's a whole bunch of other things that we want to do with some streams. Uh, some watch-alongs and, and these sort of bits and pieces. If you would like to help us out and support us there, we'd really appreciate it. We'll be able to create more Spurs, Spurs content and uh, sort of have fun doing that. So if you'd like to do that, uh, please head to patreon.com slash abitspurs. Uh, the more of you that are on the Patreon, the less time I have to spend in the coal mine, which is my job. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get Barney out of the coal mine. And uh, yeah, all links can be found uh, on our website at abitspurs.com. This is a little bit unrelated, but I, I feel like uh, I, I really wanted to bring it up this week. That I don't know if you've seen this spooky, but um, 
Steve Bruce, apparently when he was younger, released a series of murder mystery novels. This is news <laughs> to me. For, for real. For real. And it's, it's starring his alter ego, Steve Barnes. <laughs> and, and it's about this, basically this manager detective. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, based on the, the, the lack of creativity... <laughs> Uh, on the name, I think I'm going to give them a pass. To be fair, I don't think I'm going to be reading them anytime soon. Yeah, they're um, they I've I've just seen a few like excerpts from them and just a few overviews. But it's basically about a manager who is a a manager and also detective because he just happens across like he comes across murders in the change rooms and all all that sort of stuff. Um, one one particular uh, uh book though, there's it's called Sweeper. And um, Seamus O'Reilly at thesetpieces.com did a, like, a funny review of this. But on the cover, you see basically um, an Israeli flag, a Yugoslavian flag, and then a groundkeeper. Um, and it, I think it's about something that happens to this groundskeeper. But throughout the book, Steve Bruce just keeps talking. Well, he, he makes the character just continuously talk about his Jaguar XJ8 car. <laughs> and it's just in, like he goes into ridiculous detail <laughs> about it. <laughs> But um, there's one one paragraph which I just wanted to read. Um, I assume this is the main character talking about the car at some stage. Uh, and it's, uh, the XJ8 has just about everything a man could wish for in a motor car, or for that matter, a woman could ask for. While there are few women in the highest levels of soccer management, there are many women in business at top managerial levels. They'll make their presence felt in soccer as the years go by. Mechanically, the car has many excellent features. <laughs> Three points. You know what meter, it reminds me of? It just goes on. It, it's got that American Psycho uh, vibe <laughs> to it. I don't know if you've read the novel. Where yeah, there's, yeah. There's, there's, there's pages and pages about Whitney Houston and, and other other <laughs> weird things, and you can you you can. I just don't think Steve Bruce wrote it with the knowledge of how to. Yeah. Yeah, kind of mm. script something in in a way where you're getting inside the head of a, a psychopath. I think uh, <laughs> totally. I think it might be worth reading this now. Actually, that was yeah. really funny. That was that was a brilliant transition. I actually really want to read it because apparently Steve, <laughs> like he has a Jaguar car that he was in love with. Oh, there you go. And so that's why he kept inc- including it in these books. And he talked about like the six disc CD auto changer. Like it's 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 if you. Uh, look, anyone listening to this, like, go just, you know, check out a review of one of his books, um, Sweeper, Striker, or Defender, and you do see these little little quotes that come up from it. And I think that initially you might go, there's no chance I'm reading that. But you see one of these little quotes from, from something from the book, and you go, <laughs> I have to read this. <laughs> like, there is no way I can't read this book. Oh, genius. That's hilarious. That's so funny. The perfect fusion of... Um... Patrick Bateman, American Psycho, and Alan Partridge <laughs> in one man. That's a good shout. That is a really good shout. <laughs> Alan Partridge, actually, that 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 even works better. There's one thing that we can probably agree on, though, that he's he sounds like he's a better writer than than he is a football manager. <laughs> yeah. So there, there is that. Yes, he, he does have something to fall back on now. <laughs> yeah, um, no doubt someone will give. Is he is he working at the minute? See, Bruce, did he get sacked recently? I don't think he's working. No, he's not. I think he got sacked recently. Yeah. I didn't even know he was working. Though. That, that was a thing. I just saw that he got sacked and I was like, oh, another day in football. Yeah. Steve Bruce yeah. losing a job and getting a lot of money for it. He was at West Brom. That, that's right. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I love when you look up you look up the list of managed like of where they clubs that they've managed, and it's usually like year dash final year. Um, and I always find it funny when there's just one year, and so for West Brom it's just twenty twenty two. So it's like poor Steve just did not last that long. <laughs> yeah, poor rich Steve. Yeah, yeah, poor rich Steve. <laughs> And also, yeah, you know, he's probably sitting on a fortune from his novels. So there we go. <laughs> should retire. Um, yeah. Yeah, he should. He should sit, get at a country house, start writing more of these books where the true talent lies. <laughs> Great. I, th- I think actually what, one last little bit of Spurs news. Um, it's come up today something about our sponsorship for AIA. And oh, okay. something uh, it, it's to do with like, the times, you know, it says a bunch of po- British politicians have called for the club to sever ties with AIA because uh, claiming that AIA sp- uh, support the uh, human rights abuses in, in Hong Kong. Oh, I've not, I've not seen that. Uh, not sure. I mean, I don't know enough about it, but um, let, let, let's be honest with most things. You could probably find a reason to um, not have an association with Nike, you know, any kind of branding company, Apple. I mean, I love Apple products. If I look deeply into how they're made, um, I mean, I'm a hypocrite, right? Because there's there's things I don't agree with, and yet I will buy that phone every couple of years. Um, I don't know enough about what's happening, um, just in terms of the company and their, their, their association. But a lot of those companies out there are, I want to say, silenced by the, the, the governments. And, and I mean, let, 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 let's be brutally honest. I think every single country is complicit in some way mm. to something. You know, this country sells arms to countries that then sell, sell them on to terrorists. Like, you know, what are you going to do? No, obviously nothing because we don't we just get on with our lives so um yeah spurs always seem to get uh, a, a lot of this i think there was there was uh there's someone that came after us because we use a, a fighting cock and it's cruelty to animals and we should change our emblem we should get rid of the fighting cock uh get rid of the the spur that's uh on the the, the cockerel's uh, foot and just have a new emblem so we always seem to attract these kind of uh you know news articles um mm. Don't really have much more to no, say. No. Sorry, guys. <laughs> no, no. I don't put my politics on that. It's something <laughs> I need to look deeper into. To, but again, what I, I can share my opinion on it. And what does it actually mean in in, in the long term? Um, remember, we had a, a we've got chairman that laid off people or cut people's wages during the COVID pandemic, yeah. and then went back on that. You know, so it, again, messy. No matter where you look, on the pitch, off the pitch, uh, politically. Yeah, it's, it, there's always contradictions. Absolutely. I mean, you know, like you said, if you look, like Google Mother Teresa, <laughs> look down the first mm. three, you know, mm. and there's some absolutely horrific stuff. There's always going to be something. And, and when you're operating in that kind of mega corporate environment, yep. you know, there is always, by the nature of the structures of capitalism and, and the way that all works, that there is going to be points where there is, unfortunately, someone getting fucked over. Um, and I'm not saying that, you know, it's sort of like, oh, well, it's always the case. It's like the next, if we drop them tomorrow and go with someone else, you can dig and find stuff about that company as well. It's it's larger than the 
company itself or Spurs aligning themselves with a company. It's it's uh, structural. Yeah, no, exactly. I think there'll be certain fans which get on board like, yeah, this company's the worst. They're shocking just because they want the red off the shirt as well. <laughs> <laughs> it would be nice if, if we did have like uh, a, a blue sponsor, but red is a very pro- prominent colour. Uh, in that part of the world. So that's the reason why it's red and, and the reason why we don't have any capacity, flexibility rather to to kind of change it. But imagine blue, spon- I mean, imagine no sponsor. That's mm. never going to happen. Uh, but blue on the shirt would be uh, pretty nice. I'm sure. Um, uh, I'm, well, I say, I'm sure that might happen in the future. We don't know. Uh, what's going to happen with this AI uh, thing. And we don't know about the, the naming rights either yet. That could be uh, something that ties in with it, maybe, depending on what on what happens um, over the next few weeks and months. Definitely. Um, mm. We just want that 200 million, right? Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. this is my point. Who cares where it's coming from? Uh, but we do care when it's a rival football club that's, that, that's Ooh, been yeah. bought out by a, 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 you know, a, a state. So again, you know, hypocrites i think it's just part and parcel of life beyond football as well sorry i'm getting too deep no 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 no. no. this is this is what we like <laughs> yeah. um i think it was like with i think spotify are currently barcelona's shirt sponsor and then for one game mm. a couple of weeks ago they're like well let's put drake's uh ovo logo on to celebrate him getting a lot of streams uh and so i think they just changed it one game to be <laughs> drake's our logo <laughs> instead of the spotify one um, but then I think, yeah, you know, Raul Fates, oh, that's so stupid, ridiculous. It's, you know, hurting football. Uh, but then if you're a fan of the club, you're like, well, it's, if it's a 400 million pound deal, we'll, uh, do whatever, change it every week. Who cares? One of my favorite sponsorship things at the moment is the protests by, I can't remember the name of the company. Is it Hummel? Um, who have decided that in protest against, you know, the, human rights violations for the workers in Qatar building the stadiums, they're just going to release uh, slightly less vibrant kits for their team, still with their logo on them. They're not taking the logo off or it's not brand free. I saw, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, so what? You don't care enough to, you know, <laughs> remove, you know, anything. It's just got to be kind of faded. <laughs> you know, which is, you know, might have some kind of symbolism, but also convenient uh, in that the the logo of the company is still very visible. It, it, it would be incredible if someone like Harry Kane just said, I'm not going to the World Cup, I'm boycotting. Mm. Or he came out with, with the team. He'd never do this, obviously. I mean, he would never go go out there as part of the squad and then and then refuse to play when the, the, the ball's kicked and then walk off the pitch in protest. Mm. But can you imagine the statement that would make? Would it really change anything? Probably not. You're asking, you know, you're you're talking about just the, a culture and, and just the way people live their lives in other countries. They probably see what we do in the West and and, and think, you know, degenerates or whatever. Mm. Um, but there's a lot of things that they do which shouldn't really exist on this planet in this day and age. But again, you go deeply, you go too deeply into it, you find that, you know, we're complicit in, in a lot of things. Uh, just the, around the world, just generally speaking, and even in this country, we still have problems, you know, uh, on a social level with a lot of things, and being able to have certain discussions and and the rest of it. But that whole World Cup is a, an, again an absolute mess, right? But you're not going to get, you know, like you said, your example. Oh, we're going to have a kit. It's going to be faded. You're not going to be able to see the badges. 
and then they were so they were too they weren't faded enough i think or they were too faded and they changed it it's like what are you doing here this is just like a look at us where considerate but okay if you're really considerate don't do the shirts lose mm. a load of money lose just lose the sponsorship part of it you know footballers as well don't go to the world cup boycott it mm. send a message to fifa as well who are I'm looking forward to the Netflix documentary that's out on uh, um, in November about them. Not that we don't know that they're not a corrupt organisation, but um, the problem is Harry Kane's going to want to go there and win the World Cup with England and and perhaps break the the, the England record. Mm. So he might have opinions about everything else, the, the, the political side, but he's going to prioritise him, his brand, his record. And, I, and, and as much as I'm not looking forward to this World Cup because of because of the distraction that it is, I guarantee you I will be fully on board with England. They're going to let me down. I know, I know <laughs> but I'm going to be fully on board once it starts. Mm. And then I'm going to forget about all the people that died, you know, the, the human rights stuff, you know, everything else uh, that, 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 that's associated with that World Cup, not too dissimilar to Russia in some ways. Um, but here we are again. <laughs> We're going to end up following... You know, making sure our, our Spurs players aren't getting injured and they're playing well and they can hit the ground running when they're back. You know, and you, then you forget Definitely. about all the other, the genuinely important things because we, we can't control it, you know. As much as people want to change the world with a tweet, they can't. And unless you're going out there to protest, you're not going to really have an impact. Um, but that's probably a conversation for a, for a, for a different type of podcast. Uh, Oh, yeah, usually I open this podcast <laughs> with fart noises, Spooky. So this has uh, been uh, a great change for our listeners. This has been great. Um, oh, I hope they like it. Oh. Yeah, yeah, they will. <laughs> <laughs> they hate the fart noises. <laughs> Just to finish up on Qatar, um, one thing I, I've seen recently is they've built a, a stadium out of shipping containers. All right, okay. I don't know if, if anyone's seen that. And they're play, they're putting it up as like it's a sustainable thing that we could take a, put up, take down, and, and all that. I, f- I feel like they probably, you know, it got mm. to like two months ago and they read the brief and they're like, oh shit, we need eight stadiums and just realized we're one short. What can we do? Ah, uh, shipping containers. Let's chuck them together. Ah, uh, it's fine. That's mad. It's it, like, mm. when you look at the stadium, it looks, <laughs> it looks like a mess. But like you said, we're, we're going to, you know, we're going to resign to defeat and go like, well, what can we do? And then we're going to watch a whole bunch of games and, mm-hmm. uh, and talk about a lot and, um, yeah, then you get into the the discussion of like, well, should you punish yourself when if you watch the games, you're not actually really doing that much, but then you go, well, the collective should do that. But it, it becomes like a very, very tricky topic to to sort of navigate, I think, for feds. Mm. And we don't even have an excuse because we'll be supporting Australia who are dog shit. <laughs> so we don't even have the, like, you know, excitement of, you know, knowing maybe you'll get let down, but having a good squad we have the most horrific football team and yet we'll still be watching it i'm in that boat to be fair with england it's worse for us because we actually believe we're going to do something and then you know we flirt with that idea and sometimes we actually get as far as almost winning it um i'm not sure about this this time around though there's a lot of um kind of negativity towards Southgate um, just mm. because, you know, he's not really taking advantage of a very talented pool of players like we've got. I wouldn't say 
generational players. There's definitely players that are going to be generational, just in terms of you know where they progress to uh, Bellingham and and oh, there's a fair few. And obviously you've got Harry Kane uh, up up top, and yet we we play very protective. I was going to say Conte type football, but it's it's not as productive as what Conte's football has brought to us. And we were aggressive last season, um, Spurs. If you remember the last 10, 12 games, you know, we, we got in amongst it and we, we we bullied teams. We were brilliant against Liverpool at home. We were brilliant against City away. And when we went on that run, brutalised Arsenal. So we've got it in us. I Just with England, I don't. I feel like we need something brand new to come in. Mm. Um, and, and probably that will probably happen after the World Cup, to be fair. Maybe Pochettino, and maybe Spurs fans will shut up about Pochettino coming back to Tottenham. <laughs> maybe Poch can yeah. go to England, and then we can we can give Conte that contract and, and crack on with Conte. But we, mm. we, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Well, Spooky, it's been uh, an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much for coming on and giving us the time. Oh, mate, it's it's, it's it's definitely my pleasure. I'd love to do this again at some point soon, um, or maybe chat to you guys on one of my podcasts. Um, but yeah, really enjoyed it. Uh, Great. Thank cool. you. Kurt, we'd love to have you. Um, oh, I need to do the ending thing where I say, I'm Barney. I've been Barney. <laughs> I, I've been dead. And um, come on, you Spurs. <laughs> <laughs> the most dull end. <laughs> That's right. We can fix it in post. You've been listening to A Bit Spursy. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Email us at hello at abitspursy.com and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms.